Well, we're so glad to have you in church today. So glad to see your smiling faces. So glad to hear of reports of God changing lives. Amen? Man, that's what it's about. That's, that's, what, that's why we're here, for transformed lives. That's why we exist. That's why the church exists, is to cultivate the work that God's doing, yeah. right? God plants seeds, and then we, we come alongside, and the Holy Spirit enables us to help cultivate those seeds, and that's why we come to church. That's why we're here, so that more seeds can get planted in other people's lives, and sometimes people visit or come in or whatever, and they can get born again, or people that you lead to Christ, you've got a place to bring them where they can learn the Word of God, and so we're here today. We're super excited. I have been with, haven't been with you for a while. Mavis was here last week, and Marnie took all of my preaching time the week before, <laughs> and we're thankful for that, because she did an amazing job, and Talking about the fire of God, and yes, amen. Pray that our hearts are still burning, amen? And uh, Mavis last week talking about greater grace, greater grace, more God's empowering presence filling our lives, grace to live it out, amen. Well, we are back in Philippians again. We're going to reread uh, where we were three weeks ago. We talked about the two kind of funny named, not funny, funny to us as Americans, but not funny to them probably in their culture, but... Uh, Yodia and Sintichi, or however you want to say it. You say it how you want to say it. I'll say it how I want to say it, and we'll just be happy together. But this is that's kind of what we camped on last time. We're just going to reread it to give us some context, then we're going to move on today. This is found in Philippians chapter 4. We're on the last chapter of Philippians. It only goes to 4, so we're going to, we're going to finish this sometime. I plead with Yodia, and I plead with Sintichi. What I was saying is last time is this is the only time that these two ladies are mentioned in the Bible. The only time, it's the only time as far as we know in history that they're mentioned anywhere. And you know what they're in the Bible for? Can't get along, right? Apparently at one time they, they, they were, I mean, they're doing good work. We see they're doing good God things, but they're, they're letting their, anyone ever been doing a good thing, but then your flesh got in the way? Okay, let's, just, let's just be honest here for, for a minute. Anyone ever like, you heard God and I love Jesus and I'm doing good God things and then right in the middle of it, your flesh just showed up? Your flesh is like, oh, what's going on here? Oh, I can wreck this, <laughs> right? In our emotions and our needs and unsaved us part gets, uh, gets in the way. So hopefully someday that's, or it will be gone someday, but we put that to death each day. So these gals got in a little bit of a tiff, and he said, I want them to be of the same mind in the Lord. I plead with them. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, we don't know who the true companion is, but he asks this person, whoever this is, to help these women since they have contended, so he, now he's praising these women. They've contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, the good news. Like they were my helpers. They were working alongside of me. They're, they're doing amazing things. Along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of, the life, book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. That's our text for today. Let's go on to our first question. How do you keep track of things? This is, this is not a, like a theological question. Just like, like how do you, how did someone answer? How do you keep track of things? Take notes. Take notes. Calendar. Calendar, yep. Anyone, and do you got, how many, sorry, I don't, I don't know, was that? Sticky notes. Sticky notes, yep. Who, before we go any further? I got a wife. <laughs> I got a <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. You have a life man. You you have a life management coach, yes, and assistant. 
How many have a calendar, like a physical paper calendar in your home that you write on things in your home somewhere? How many use like a digital calendar, like a shared calendar, maybe on your iPhone or whatever? A few of you? Yeah, okay. We, we went digital a few years back and that's, that's been okay. That's been all right. We, we, uh, we, we hit some things, we miss some things. How, how, how else do you keep track? So sticky notes, how else do you keep track of things? The wife, yeah, we're all, everyone's pretty much done now. Yeah, it's the wife thing. That's, we're, we're good. We're good. So, uh, second question, why do you keep track of things? Why do you keep track of things? <laughs> Stay out of trouble, Stan says. Well, if the wife always keeps track of things, then you never get in trouble, right? Travis is never in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah doesn't seem convinced of that. I don't know, but that's all right. Why I just I listed out a few. Why do we keep track of things? To remember, right? Anyone have anyone have little post-it notes or sticky notes or you know, write something on your calendar or I, I'm actually trying out some new apps, trying out uh Todoist, I think. I tried a whole pile of them and didn't like most of them. I don't know. It's hard to figure out how to remember things, isn't it? Things you need to keep track of. So we need to remember things so we just don't forget because we're just human. We get too many things clogged up in the old file structures up there and we can't remember. We, uh, we do it to prove things, right? If you guys got audited or got a call from the IRS and they're like, I see that you claimed $119,000 of business expenses there. You want to talk about that? You walk into the IRS office and you're like, listen. I'm a good guy. You can ask my neighbor, George. George will tell you. I'm good. In fact, George, I brought him with George. Come in here. <laughs> Mr. IRS is going to have a few choice things to say to you. And guess what? George is not allowed in the office. <laughs> right? They want to know how you can prove whatever your expenses are. They want to, like when we fill out, when you do your tax return, right? You don't, you don't just say, Trust me, I'm good for it. Hand it in, right? <laughs> we got any teachers in the room? Yeah, a couple teachers in the room. You quiz your kids and you're like, all right, I've taught you well. I am so confident in my ability as a teacher, not if you understood everything for the year. And they're all like, uh-huh, okay, we're good then. We don't do that, do we? No, we give, we give tests and they keep record of what they've remembered and they record it. And then we can go back to those later and look and say, oh, okay, well, this proves <laughs> that you were talking in class like I told you that you were. What else? To reveal. To reveal. Uh, like, anyone ever use a dictionary or an encyclopedia? Right? We've recorded information about things so that it can reveal to us what those things are. Anyone ever bought a house before? You'll either need to do title insurance or a title search. And if they do a title search, they'll go back and they'll find out who owned the house. So it reveals who owned that place. And then they're going to look to see if there was any liens that have never been paid off or whatever to see if there's any debt against that house. And so it's to reveal things. We record, you know, we find things in history, you know, in, in, like today, but historical things, that things that have been recorded on them. The, the word of God is something that was recorded. It was, it was, we kept records of what God had said during those times. So you can get really deep and philosophical. That's not our point today, but to also to preserve things. And, this, and the same thing with that. We, we preserve um, 
what was going on at the time. One of the things that we use all the time, and this is not an ad for this because it's just not, but we use uh, like our photos, a backup for our photos. Our, we use Google Photos, but um, it's online. And so on our phones, I don't have 20,000 pictures on my phone, but I have a little app and I hit the app and it goes, you have to have internet for it, but it goes onto the cloud, wherever the cloud is. And it finds all my pictures from the time, like even the you know, first digital pictures we had, I think Aspen was just born or whatever. And so any of those pictures I can find, I can search things. And so it's one of the ways. So people always look at me weird. We just, well, actually when Mavis was out to our house last Sunday after church, I got up quick with my phone and I said, all right, smile. And uh, so they're like, huh? So, you know, we had a few people there and I said, I just want to remember, like, it's just easy for me to type in Mavis and I can find when she was at our church because that picture shows up I'm like, oh, it was that Sunday. Okay. It's just, it's a great way for us to just kind of keep records of what we did in our crazy lives. So we keep records for things so we can remember, so we can prove things, we can reveal things, we can preserve things. It's important. So here's the next question. Does God keep records? Hmm. Well, huh. I don't know how to answer that. Does God keep records? What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. Let's just, let's just do some just kind of elementary. We're just going to uh, look at a couple, couple sets of scriptures here. And uh, our first one's going to be in Psalms. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. Now listen to this, you guys. All the days ordained for me were what? written in your book before one of them came to be. Now, what, uh, what does God look like? Does he have blonde hair? Like, like, you're talking about big G God, Father God. He's on his throne up there. He's spirit. So the way that we tend to think of things, they're, they're spiritual things in heaven. But he exists, and I don't know exactly what that looks like, and he can certainly, like, he created the physical, so that's not foreign to him, but he exists as spirit, and so what does a, a spirit, who is God, what kind of book does a spirit have? <laughs> like, do you know what I'm trying to get at here? I don't know exactly what this, book's look like, what this book looks like. I don't know if it's an actual literal book, but we do have reference that somehow there is a recording in heaven of every day that's ordained for your life. How comforting is that? God has ordained and recorded somewhere every day for your life. That makes it easy to wake up in the morning and say, all right, God, you know what you want me to be doing today. Lead me and guide me. Help me, Holy Spirit, to, to take the right steps. You, you've already ordained what you want. Now, we have a choice to come alongside that. Like, we're not just a robot. Like, you know, we have to partner with that. But at the same time, there's a book that has written beautiful things for your life. Can you say amen? That's a good thing. How about another one? How about... Matthew 10, 28 through 31. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Kind of a sobering topic here. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet 
Not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. God is saying, there's not one sparrow that loses altitude without me knowing about it and without me upholding them. God's saying, I'm involved in every sparrow on earth. And even the, and so he's saying that as a reference point. He's saying, even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Some of us have less numbers on our head these days, right? So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. So God knows exactly how many hairs are on your head. He knows how many sparrows are flying around now, right now. And he's engaged in maintaining their flight until their lifespan is over. And he knows, like in reference to that, he's like, I know how many hairs. Like, do you, Sometimes we're like, I don't know if God sees. You know, Sometimes I just feel alone and whatever. God's like, not only do I know you, I've got a book chronicling every day of your life before you were even born, before you even came to be. I've got a book written about it. Oh, and by the way, if you turn to page 38 in the book, I have written down here how many hairs you have that day, <laughs> right? I know intimate details about your life that, how many know exactly how many hairs are on your head? <clears throat> Think about that. God knows something about you physically that you don't know. Just physically. Think about the, the complexity of your emotions and the motives of why you do things and why we, why we sabotage stuff sometimes or why we succeed sometimes. God knows that. How beautiful that we can invite him into our lives to help us along because he knows things about you that you don't know. I, want you to, I just want that to stick with us this morning. God knows things about me. He's got it recorded in a book. He knows how many hairs I've got. I don't even know how many hairs I've got. I don't know how many days I'm going to live. God does. So why would we not want to invite that, that level of wisdom and insight into our lives that we don't know? Sometimes we should just wake up every morning to say, help, God, help. Help me to make the right choices today. Help me to take the right footsteps today. All right, another verse. Hebrews 6.10 says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you've shown him as you've helped his people and continue to help them. Have you ever done something for the Lord that's been unseen? Only you know about it. You've, you've done something good. I pray that, that we all are able to raise our hand for that. I pray that, that as we're, we're having the character of God develop goodness in us, that we're about the Lord's business, doing great things, and only God sees. But here's a verse, and there's many like this, that, that says God's not going to forget that. God's not going to forget the great things that you do as you're going about his business doing his, walking in his character, following his ways. Here's another one in Psalm. I've got two, two, different, vers two different versions. Uh, first one says, Psalm 56, verse 8 says, record my misery. So record it. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? We got three instances of record keeping here. Record it. List it on the scroll. Are they not in your record? It says it a little bit different in the ESV. It says, you've kept count of my tossings. <laughs> Anyone in the middle of the night ever had some tossings before? You're like, God, you've got to help me with this. I can't sleep. I'm, I've got anxiety. He said, you, God, you've kept count of them. God, God knows how many sleepless nights you've gotten. You've put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? I love that. Here's a, here's a couple. So speaking of the IRS, speaking of the IRS, um, or how about, let's do this one, this one's even better. This one's even better. Let's talk about business, okay? Let's talk about, let's talk about you, you work for a business, okay? 
and uh, you go out and you have a business expense, okay? So let's say you, for some reason, I don't know, you feel like you need to take a client to Florida and buy them lobster, <laughs> whatever. The business knows about this expense, right? But you're going to be called into the office to give an account for it. And you're going to have to explain exactly why we needed to go 1,800 miles to Florida to get a fresh lobster, right? They're going to need to, you're going to need to give an account, to give an account, to get, like, right, accounting? You're going to have to give an account. Well, we see this in the Word of God as well, Romans 14, 12. So then each one of us will give an account of ourselves to God. It's not like we're explaining things to God that he doesn't know. It's more like the business expense. We're going to give an explanation of our life to God. We're like, he's keeping track. God's keeping track. And another one, Hebrews 4.13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is kind of sobering. You're being very quiet, but I, we're going through a ton of verses here. I just want to set the, the foundation that God is watching God sees, God knows, he's got you in the book, he knows how many hairs are on your head, you're going to have to give an account for your life, well, that sounds like a scary verse, and without Jesus, it's a very scary verse, but with Jesus, it's a comforting verse, because we know that God knows everything about our life, and he's going to have us explain things, he's going to tell us why we should have made different choices, or he's going to pat us on the back for all we did, like it has nothing to do with us getting into heaven or not, that's all on Jesus. One more. Matthew 12, 36, but I tell you, everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they've spoken. Sometimes, like, like tell your neighbor, just close your mouth. <laughs> Nobody wants to do that. They don't want to be rude. I'm going to tell you, sometimes just close your mouth. <laughs> okay? <laughs> because it's helpful. Like, sometimes, not everything that pops in here has to end up here. Okay? That's not the sermon for today, so we'll keep, right? Like, we kind of live in a day and an age where, like, the gate, like, kind of the processor between here and here is kind of, or between here and, and here, you, like, just because it popped into your head does not mean it's equivalent to the gospel, right? Just, just, hang, just hang on to that bug buddy for a minute. Just let it marinate in there and give it some thought. We're going to go to the book. So we've got, a, we've got a couple more of these kind of things, but we're, we're kind of on a specific topic now. I know we've got a ton of scripture today. Your eyes are glazing over. Just hang with me. We'll, we'll make this applicable. So Moses, this is in Exodus 32. Moses went back to the Lord and said, what a great sin these people have committed, right? They're, they're doing all kinds of goofy things, and, and uh, they've made themselves gods of gold, but please forgive their sin. But if not, here's Moses saying this, then blot me out of the book that you've written. God said, take my life for theirs then. And God said, the Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book, my book. And we're going to see this theme a few other places. Psalm, this is Old Testament now, Psalm 69. I didn't realize there was as many references to the book or the book of life all throughout the scripture as there was. Psalm 69, David's getting a little frustrated here. He said, charge them with crime upon crime. Do not let them share in your salvation. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. How many, raise your hand if you've heard of the book of life before. The book of life, okay? That's what we're talking about here. We're going to go into Revelations. Big scary book. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from its presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. 
Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And let's go a little further in chapter 20. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. When we become born again, like we talked about earlier, when you give your life to Jesus, when you become born again, your name is written in a book of life. It's recorded in heaven. And Jesus watches over that. And so those people that have rejected God and have not lived for him and have, have been disobedient and have re- refused to surrender their hearts are not going to be found. And it's a, it's a hard subject to talk about, but it's reality of eternal life. Revelation 21 says, Nothing impure, it's talking about the new heavens and new earth, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Why are we talking about all this? Well, our verse today, Philippians 4, 3, is talking about Clement and the co-workers and, and these two ladies. He, Paul is making the note that their names are written in the book of life. Now, they, they would have known that. Okay, That would have been like, but Paul wanted to make sure that that was something that we were reminded of, that there is a record in heaven of your decision to follow Jesus. Can you be excited about that? There is a recording in heaven. There is proof. There's revelation, right? All the things that we talked about. Why do we record things? Why do we keep track of things? Jesus is keeping track, and so he will not forget your decision to follow Christ. Your name is written in the book of life. God is watching over you. God is with you. Your spirit has been born again. You're you're brand new. Do we make mistakes? Yes. Do we sin? Absolutely. Do we continue in sin? Absolutely not. We repent. We come to church. We say, man, help me out. I'm struggling with this. Find someone to pray with you. You know, get a pastor. Like, has anyone ever messed up before? Raise your hand. Like, come and listen to me. Anyone ever messed up? Has anyone ever sinned? Okay, like about 70% of you. (laughs) You see what it's like trying to preach sometimes? You can't even get anyone to admit they've sinned before. Like, where are we starting from here? All of a sudden, I turned Irish or something. I don't know. But we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the Bible says. And so we get born again, and then there's this, there's this struggle with our flesh. That's why we need other believers. That's why we need every morning to start out and ask God for help. That's why we need to be in the Word of God. That's why we need to do communion. That's why we need like all of these things that bolster our spirits and give us energy to walk out this supernatural life that we can't walk out on our own. We need the power of God. And so a place like this and like other great churches that preach the Bible that where you can be energized and filled up with the power of God to go do what you need to do. So how many of you know, we read it earlier already, but how many of you know Philippians 4.4? 4? I remember when I was a kid, I learned Philippians 4.4. 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You got to clap during that. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Right? That's Philippians 4, 4. Almost every single time you hear that verse, you hear just that verse. Rejoice in the Lord, right? It's that verse. So we quote that verse. We put it on the refrigerator magnets. We put it on our cars, right? It's highlighted in our Bibles. But I want to give you some context this morning. 
whose names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord. And I'll say it again. Rejoice, always rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again. It's tied in with Paul writing this thought that, man, your names are written in the book of life. Rejoice. You're not going to hell anymore. You've got an eternal dwelling in heaven. Rejoice. You're not stuck in the same miserable, flesh-based, unpowerful, powerless way of life anymore. Rejoice. You should be excited and rejoicing because your names are written in the book of life. Well, I've had a really bad day today. Well, I don't care. Rejoice because you're going to have a really better tomorrow, right? There's a future for you that you can't even imagine. We get so caught up in the stuckness of just in the yuck of right now that we forget, wait a minute, I've got witnesses in heaven that see the Lamb's book of life and my name is written in it. It's recorded in there. Wow. We forget about that. We forget to rejoice. And even in this moment, there's access to divine joy as I rejoice in him. The first thing is I should just be excited that, that it's like whose names are written in the book. This is how it's written. There was, no ch- there was no chapters and verses when this was written. This was a letter. Whose names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it. Rejoice. It reminds me of Luke 10, 20. Jesus said, don't rejoice that the spirits submit. Do you see that the disciples came back and they're like, Jesus, the demons fled when we cast them out. And Jesus said, yep, I know. I, I, I'm the one that told you to do that, right? He said, but don't rejoice about that. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Come on. I don't care how bad your day is. I don't care how your week is going. Rejoice that your name's written in heaven. Like, bring that back to memory. Come on. Bring that back to mind. Your names are written in the book of the life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let me tell you about something. Let me tell you about a wheelbarrow. I was working construction, and we were down in Pipestone, Minnesota. And I had been living a miserable, godless life, and my mom wouldn't let go of me, and she kept praying and praying and praying, and that made me more and more miserable, and I was getting more miserable, and, and just in just every kind of filth you could imagine, and drugs, and just, like, it just didn't matter. I was getting burnt out at work, and I was just, I was just miserable. And we were in, in a, and somewhere in, in that stretch... I'd started like that. I moved, it was Thanksgiving weekend. It was I drank the last time, and I moved back home. I built a closet for you. Yep, and I I was hungover, which didn't happen anymore. And my head was pounding, and I was running a saw. It was the grace of God. I was hungover for three days, which was bizarre. Which didn't like it just didn't happen anymore because I was at that stage in my life, and it was just God going just kind of letting me just get sick because I had already made the decision. I want to I wanna follow Jesus and I want to quit, but I was in such bondage. And I think it was just the grace of God letting me just get really sick. So I just remember cutting those stupid boards. <laughs> and so that was like November-ish. And so I started coming back to church and I'm like, 
yeah, Jesus, I, I want this. I, you know, it, I was, my heart was melting, and I don't remember, so I don't remember exactly what day it was, because it wasn't like I woke up one morning, and like, oh, I need Jesus, right? Like, I, like, I met, I moved back home with my parents for a little bit, and ended up going to Hawaii or whatever, but anyways, when I, when I came back, I'm working in Pipestone, it's, now it's like April or May, it's probably like May, so I'd been saved for about six months. And I remember when I was in Hawaii, my friends, they were just so in love with Jesus. And every day was brand new, and they just loved God. And I, I, was, I was getting there. Like I, like, I wanted that. And I was, and probably by that point, I'd, I'd probably prayed. I'm like, God, I want to serve you. And I, was, I ended up coming back home. And so I was, I was working construction. We were working on a, a hog barn that was as wide as this church is long. It was 120 feet wide, and it was 800 and some feet long, had two different 30-foot-high cement walls and a 32-feet-high or something like that. And so I was a foreman on this crew. We were pouring concrete, and it was hard work, but I'd done it for you know a while and was all right at it. And I have a moment that I can remember like it was yesterday. So I'm guessing I'd probably been saved for, you know, or I'd, God had been working in my heart, certainly, for about six months. And we had to these long uh, hallways that the walls weren't built yet, but we were still pouring concrete. And so there would be these gutters that would, you know, the cleaners would go and clean stuff out. We were pouring those. So we had to bring gravel in. So I had a wheelbarrow and I'm going down this gravel driveway or like walkway and I'd go to the pile and we'd shovel it full of gravel and I'd turn around and I'd walk through and there was a doorway in this 30 foot high. Now there's no roof on it. There's no walls in the building, but there was a firewall every 300 feet or whatever it was. And it, there was a doorway through it. And I remember it like it was yesterday. I was pushing a wheelbarrow full of gravel. And I walked, just had walked through that cement door. It's still, I mean, there's sky above you, you know, so you're out, still outside. But walked through that wall and I stopped. And I'm hanging out of the wheelbarrow and it hit me. I'm going to heaven. Like I had a moment, I'm like, Holy cow, I'm going to heaven. Like it just, like it hit, like it, I can, I could bring you back to just every single emotion of that moment as I realized, man, I'm going to heaven. Like, holy, this is, it's so real. Like Jesus showed up. He's like, I've been trying to tell you that the whole time, you know, but like it just, like the light bulb came on. My God, thank you. Thank you. Oh, I never pushed gravel the same way, you know, like, like, this is so amazing. I remember telling someone, I'm like, I'm going to heaven. <laughs> They're like, okay, whatever. <laughs> and it wasn't long after that, you know, I ended up, I was bringing my guitar with and I ended up playing on a worship team, whatever. And just like, like that was the start of God working in my life. But I remember when that became real. And I don't want to ever lose the, the joy of that moment that I realized that I'm going to heaven. Your name is written in the book of life. Come on, whatever's happening around you right now, it cannot compare to the glory that you're going to see on the other side of this life. Your name is recorded. God's recorded it in his book. It is official. It is written in heaven. I dare you to try to change one thing that's written in heaven. When God writes something down, it's pretty important. You're like, you're not going to like sneak in there and erase something. It is written. Your name is written in heaven. Let's go on just a little bit more. Rejoice. It's from the French words meaning return to joy. 
When I read that, uh, Robert uh, Roland Wharton wrote that in his book. Return to joy. Return to joy. So let, let read this. Philippians four four. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let me let me read that. Return to joy in the Lord always, and I'll say it again. Return to joy. Return to joy. Return to joy. So we we find out a couple things about this verse. Philippians four four. We find out that we need to rejoice in the Lord. Amen. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I'll get it, again I'll say it. Rejoice. We need to rejoice in the Lord. Uh, the, most of you guys probably on your fridge have the Westminster Short Catechism. No? Oh, okay. Well, one of the lines in the Westminster Short Shorter Catechism is this statement. This was written in uh, 1646. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We don't often think about enjoying God, taking joy in God, rejoicing in God. You're like in, like they solidified this is one of the one of the big confessions. It just solidified in there that we're not just to serve him, we are. We're to glorify him, but we're also to enjoy him forever. There's enjoyment in Jesus. There's enjoyment, enjoyment filled with enjoyment in following Christ. Uh, the same guy that wrote that other statement said this, Roland Wharton, he said, joy is a person. Joy originated with God and is a default of God himself. Therefore, joy is a reality of heaven and it's reflected in creation. You can't just help but smile when you see butterflies flitting around and, and you know, the songbirds, right, rolling out the red carpet, you're just walking, it's right, just flutes playing, whatever. I'm sure that happens on the Jorgensen farm all the time. <laughs> but joy, joy is a person. Joy is Jesus. The Bible says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For joy. For joy. For joy's sake. For rejoicing. Huh. C.S. Lewis said, if you want to get warm, you got to stand near the fire, right? If you want to get wet, you got to get in the water. If you want joy or power, or peace, or eternal life, you must get closer, close to, or even into the thing that has them. They're not a sort of prize which God could, if he chose, just to hand out to anyone. What he's saying is, God, what, what C.S. Lewis is trying to tell you, and trying to tell me, is that joy isn't just something God's like, oh, I'm going to give them some joy today. Oh, I'm going to give them some. What he's saying is, C.S. Lewis and, and Mr. Wharton is saying, joy is Jesus. It's, it, joy is God. The fruit of the Spirit is Love, okay, joy, yeah, like that's, like when, what does it look like when the Holy Spirit shows up in us? How can we tell? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, right? Like those things start showing up when I didn't ask for them. They start showing up in my life. So we want to be joyful. If we want to be more joyful, we draw closer to Jesus. Jesus equals joy. We think Jesus equals conch us on the head and whatever. And God's, God's pulling junk out of our life because those are joy robbers, right? So we can, uh, often we try to return to joy in so many other things. And I just wrote a few down, but like, I want to return to joy in what I've done, right? Like, and it's, it's great to be proud of things that you've done or whatever, but we're talking about the source of the joy in our lives, and we try to get that, like, in our own strength. Well, I just, I just got to be happier, right? Or in our identities. This is who I am. That brings me joy. Like, you could just, you could fill out this, right? We could do pages of these lists. 
And anything else, let's just look at number five there. Anything else that you try to put in there that you're going to get a source of joy from, go ahead. Try to get joy exclusively from your children or, or your spouse. Like, let that be your source of joy. Do we get enjoyment and joy from our family? Absolutely. But if that becomes our source of joy, oh man, there's going to be problems at home, right? Because we're not built to be someone's joy. We're built to add to that, absolutely. But we can't, we can't suck life out of someone to be our source of joy. Only Jesus can bear that load. And only Jesus is true joy. All right, the second thing, we're just about done here, is we rejoice always. We rejoice always. I've got a few more quotes before we wrap up here. This one is from S.D. Gordon. He said, joy is distinctly a Christian word and a Christian thing. It's the reverse of happiness. Happiness is the result of what happens of an agreeable sort. So when things are going well, we can be happy. Joy, listen to this, has its springs deep down inside. And that spring never runs dry, no matter what happens. Only Jesus gives us that joy. He had joy singing its music within, even under the shadow of the cross. We already kind of mentioned that. Well, I could be joyful if this wasn't going wrong. That You have the wrong definition of rejoicing and joy. Because joy is independent of circumstances. We can rejoice that our names are written in the book of life. We can rejoice as we draw near to Jesus, no matter what's going on. Matthew Henry, uh, old-time commentary, said, It's our duty and our privilege to rejoice in God and to rejoice in him always, at all times, in all conditions. There, listen, there's enough God to, finish, to furnish us with matter of joy in the worst circumstances on earth. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. If good men have not a continual feast, it is their own fault, says Matthew Henry. Like we draw near to him and Jesus begins to, Jesus begins to rub off, right? Have you ever, have you ever uh, hugged someone that's wearing a lot of perfume or cologne? Have you ever, and this is, this, is not a, this is not a dig, this is just a true statement. Have you ever been to Taco John's inside? Have you ever sniffed yourself like two hours later? <laughs> I, lo- I mean, I love it. I, this, I'm, not, I'm not putting anything down. I'm just saying, if you go into Taco John's and you, you eat your tacos in Taco John's, two hours later, you'd be like, hmm, Olay's. <laughs> right? The fragrance gets upon you. Same with Jesus. His fragrance is joy. You draw near to him, and all of a sudden, you're not going to have to work it up. It's going to start becoming, we have, we have to choose to partner with that, but it's going to become evident. We're going to start being able to rejoice in him, even when things look rough on the outside. Billy Sunday, he was an old preacher. He said, if you have no joy, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. <laughs> Guys, plug up the leaks and let Jesus reign. Just a couple more quotes and we're done. A.B. Simpson says, listen to this. This is therapy for you guys this morning, okay? Can we dial in for, for uh, maybe, maybe two more quotes after this one? Just dial into this. Think about this for this week. Begin to rejoice in the Lord and your bones will flourish like an herb and your cheeks will glow with the bloom of health and freshness. Worry, fear, distrust, care, all are poisonous. Joy is balm and healing. And if you will but rejoice, God will give power. Isn't that good? That's right. See, get a lot out of this when you dial in, right? You'd be amazed at how many quotes I get rid of 
Like I load them all in and then I'm like, oh, that's too many. So we get rid of, like, they're so good. I just want to keep, some of these guys are just, the way they word things is so rich. C.S. Lewis, one more time with him. I sometimes wonder whether all pleasures are not substitutes for joy. Let that just, that's, that's deep, but just let that settle in. The things that we're trying to get pleasure from in life, C.S. Lewis is just posing the thought. I wonder if all this pleasure we're chasing is just a cheap substitute for joy, for drawing near to Jesus. See, it's easy to run and find something that brings me pleasure on earth. I've got I've, I've to actually slow down and take time to focus on Jesus, to let that joy emanate in my heart. I've got to draw near to him. I've got to let him be present in my life. I've got to, I've got to surrender to him. Or I can chase a cheap counterfeit of that. Last one. Promise. We're done. This is Elizabeth Elliot. She was an author. She died a few years ago. She said, the world looks for happiness through self-assertion. And boy, in 2022, that is so true. We want to assert ourselves to be happy. We want to, my way, my ideas, my uh, identity. The Christian knows that Joy is found in self-abandonment, not self-assertion. If a man will let himself be lost for my sake, Jesus said he will find his true self. He will find his true self. You can chase, you guys can chase happiness bunnies all the rest of the days of your life, and you're just going to end up with a pile of rabbit turds. (laughs) May not be as elegant as C.S. Lewis, (laughs) but that's Midwest talk right there. Right? We are chasing rabbit trails, things that I think are going to bring me pleasure and happiness, and it ends up turning to dust. And I don't care what it is, if it's outside of Christ, if it's outside of Jesus himself, that joy is not going to be true joy. It's going to be temporary happiness, and you're going to continue to find more things to fill that happiness. Or we can say, all right, I'm tired of chasing rabbits, tired of ending up with pellets, right? I want Jesus. I want, I want the eternal joy of God to live in my heart. I want to be able to rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Because your names are written in heaven. You've got an eternal destiny. So be glad. Be happy. Tap into the source that brings you joy. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just pray for the joy of the Lord to be our strength this morning. God, I just pray that you would equip us and fill us. Lord, pray that you teach us how to draw near. Lord, on a Tuesday afternoon when it seems like you're far away. Lord, it seems all so easy on a Sunday morning. But when we get to Thursday night, you know, or, or Friday morning, how, how do we be in Christ? How do we walk this out? How do we let your joy fill us? I pray that you'd give us keys. Help us to understand your word. Help us to have these experiences with you, God. And we just pray for a greater measure of joy in every life here today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.